The Reverend Dale Turner writes a column in the Seattle Times each Saturday in the religion section. And in June, the 7th of June, 2003, his article related the story of the Reverend John Albrecht, an Episcopal priest, who was recently entered into the Guinness World Book of Records for preaching the shortest sermon. He stood and uttered one word, love. Then he sat down. That was it, no more. One of his members said it was his best sermon. (laughs) I've often heard people say that church would be nicer if sermons were just a little more concise. But don't get your hopes up. (laughs) Today won't be my shortest sermon, but I promise you it also won't try to make the world's records for the world's longest sermon, which was 60 hours and three minutes. When I look at the text for our next in the sermon series, Finding Joy in Tough Times, Philippians chapter 3, 2 to 11, I think the focus can be distilled down to just two words. God transforms. Two words that make Paul's life and ministry much clearer. I invite you now to hear the word of God. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh even though I, too, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, we bow before you and ask you to look into our hearts and quiet our minds, that we might truly hear the word you would have us to hear this day. Thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I invite you to take a short journey with me over the next few minutes as we look at Paul and this letter that he has written to the church at Philippi. It would be easy to look at what he says and then to give you some examples and say, see there, this is easy to understand. But I don't think it is, so I would like you to listen very carefully to what Paul says 
and think about your own life in relation to it. See if there's areas in your life where you can relate to Paul. I know I found many areas in mine. The earliest Christians suffered much at the hands of Paul. As a Pharisee, he did everything that he could to live a pious life in line with the Jewish rituals of the day. As a defender of the Jewish faith, he did everything within his power to prevent the spread of Christianity. Paul was present at the execution of Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. It's very likely that Paul even had a role in Stephen's death. In the book of Acts, we find these chilling words, and Saul was there giving approval to his being Stephen's death. Paul hunted down Christians, not because he hated the people, but because he felt he had to defend the purity of the faith and God's word. It's hard to think of the Pharisee Paul as the same person who wrote the warm and tender words to the church at Philippi. I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ, he wrote. Paul deeply misses his brothers and sisters in the church. What happened? What is it that caused Paul to turn so completely away from everything he lived and believed that would make him right with God? What happened? What is it that caused Paul to throw away this very lengthy resume and start over with absolutely nothing? Paul had been a star in his circles. He was a stunning example of an enemy of the church. People wanted to be like Paul. And then comes this very incredible upside-down, inside-out change in Paul's life. Now Paul longs to be with this very tiny group of Christian believers who themselves are being persecuted. For me, it's really hard to believe that Paul willingly spends years in prison and under persecution for the same Jesus Christ who he longed to see dead. Jesus Christ he once despised. It defies explanation. At least it's difficult for us to wrap our human mental arms around the kind of change that took place in Paul's life. Paul becomes a life that is transformed. I love using today's 21st century technology to help define and give clarity to a first century event. So when I looked in my computer thesaurus, it gave these words to define transformation. Convert. Renovate. Alter. Revolutionize. Much more descriptive, don't you think, than... Paul changed. One day he did this, and the next day he said this. Paul has become bold and passionate about following Jesus Christ. And he makes it very clear in the scriptures that human advantages such as birth and religion and position in society, all human accomplishments matter absolutely nothing if you don't know Jesus Christ. They have absolutely no value Paul had much to be proud about in a worldly sense. Humanly speaking, he was a great success. But Paul said he was willing to give it all up, 
to count it all as garbage to know Jesus Christ. How can we understand such a shift, such a transformation? Perhaps it's only understandable when we consider what it might mean for Paul to know Christ. I think that's the operative word, to know Christ. Not just to have head knowledge about Christ, but to have an understanding, an experience, a relationship of the heart with Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Paul, who despised Christ, had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. In a blinding light, Paul suddenly knew this amazing truth. What he tried to do on his own to gain God's acceptance was impossible. No amount of justifying his actions could make him right with God. I think Paul realized that the mind tends to justify whatever the heart has chosen. And for most of his life, he chose to follow the law, not Jesus Christ. I've come to be aware that be able to adequately give you an illustration of that, I need to step out here as I tell you about taking care of my four-year-old grandson for a couple of days last weekend. And if you remember what it's like to be four years old, they get very stubborn and think they know it all. And since his mother wasn't around, he thought he was going to get away with anything. And he wanted to do something and I said no, and his response was, And when I said, Daniel Dean, he said, I'm just marching. I'm just marching. Just like a parade. I'm just marching, my mom. (laughs) And when I stood there and gave him a very severe look, he looked at me and said, Oh, I love you, my mom. (laughs) Our justifying our behaviors as we get older get more refined and We laugh at a four-year-old, but we understand that as we mature, especially as we mature in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is, we come to a deeper understanding, just as Paul did, that we cannot earn God's love. Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we cry out, O God. Paul knew that it was impossible for mortals to gain that kind of perfection. We know it's true as well. And God's standards of what it means to be holy confront our need for God's grace. We can't do it without grace. The result of this aha for Paul was his desire to know Christ more fully. Not just as a theological topic, as he would often do when he was looking at the Jewish law, but as a Savior. He desires to experience the power of the resurrection in his daily life. From morning to night, he wants to know that Jesus loves him. He wants to know that when Christ died, Paul died, and that when Christ arose and took the sins of the world, 
Paul wants to know that it happened for him as well. He wants to personally know Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for Paul's sin. And after Damascus, Paul knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that his yes to Christ gained him everything. Even in prison, even away from all the friends and encouragement that he needed, he knew that he could rejoice in Christ. Oftentimes the word rejoice is used to describe the letter to Philippi. Even though the Philippians had many trials and many difficulties, as did Paul, he could still say, rejoice in the Lord. Once he knew Jesus, had a personal relationship with him, he could say, rejoice in the Lord. And I think he said that because he knew the difference between happiness and joy. Isn't it true that happiness can wax and wane? It depends so much on circumstances and what is going on in life. But the kind of joy I think that Paul was talking about is something that we have always, even through the difficulties of life. Joy, real joy, that comes from knowing Christ is something internal. It's a matter of the heart. Perhaps the underlying question for you today when you hear this passage is, well, what impresses God? According to our scripture lesson, it certainly is not the things that impress the world. Paul's resume was perfection when it came to religion. It couldn't have been better. We might have liked to have had all those things listed under our name in the plus column. But finally, Paul said, it's nothing. The only column that matters that says, I believe in Jesus Christ. Paul discovered that God's grace, God's love through Jesus is a gift. It's a gift. Available to Paul and available to us. Now, I think it's unlikely that any of you can sit here and say, I identify totally with Paul. I have persecuted the church. I've had a perfect religious experience. None of us can say that. But I think all of us know that there are things in our lives that count that we should neglect. And things that matter that aren't even on our list. Sometimes I hear the Lord whisper in my ear, Dana, what really counts in your life? Jesus does not just call us to do things, he calls us to come to him, that we might be more like him. And the only way we can be more like Jesus is to be like Paul, and to have a relationship with Christ. To put everything else aside, to count everything else as not important except a relationship with Christ. It takes transformation, doesn't it? It's not just saying, I want to be different. It's knowing that Christ can help us be different. And again, the whisper and the question, Dana, what really counts in your life? And I must admit, I'm tempted to start listing my accomplishments and saying, well, Lord, I'm in your service, and I went to seminary at 40, for goodness sake. 
What more could you want? I want to be your disciple. It's by faith that I have to step back and say, Jesus, I know that doesn't count for anything unless I know who you are and how much you love me. That's knowing the resurrection power that Paul was talking about. I think I'm finally getting it, that transformation isn't a sprint. It's more like a long marathon. It's something that we keep working at, that the Lord is faithful and keeps saying, you can do it, you can do it, come to me, know me more. Even Martin Luther, the reformer, found himself in absolute bondage to his attempts to try to earn grace. He couldn't. It's a gift. And the Lord whispers, stop trying. You are forgiven. You are mine. Know me. Experience me. I think of the hymn, Keep Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I want to know Jesus more deeply tomorrow than I know him today. I think that's the prayer that pleases our Lord. The result of Paul's aha experience to know Christ more fully was a desire that allowed him to be in prison and still be able to write those wonderful letters to the church at Philippi. Paul tells us, I think by his letter, that what we believe about God determines how we serve the Lord. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can stop measuring everything in our lives by our past, whether it was good or difficult. Our prayers become words of assurance, pleas for guidance, praise and gratitude for all Jesus has done and, was, and will continue to do. No one but God could transform Paul's life. And if God can transform Paul's life, God can transform my life. And if God can transform Paul's life, God can transform your life as well. And if God can transform Paul's life, God can transform our church and our community, even the world. When you wonder if you can do it, you follow your faith as weak as it is, rather than your doubts as strong as they may seem. And then we leave the rest up to God. Paul's message would be to us, keep your focus on Jesus. Be obedient to the Lord's call on your life. And God will provide the way. Do you believe it? It's true. Amen.